Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Phil, we won. <laughs> we, we won the best. I don't win things very often. I'm very pleased that's, with myself. That's true. I forgot. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> not not yay. It's probably bad, but yay. <laughs> Anyways. Uh Barso Politics. Hi guys. Uh I'm your host, Nick McGuire. And joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi. Howdy. Hi. Hey Nick. Hi. Hey Phil. Hi. 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 <laughs> Hello. Hi. Um standard issue stuff before we get started uh if you like the podcast uh or want to share it with people uh follow us on facebook uh at barstool politics twitter at barstool paul p-o-l um and i always forget oh untapped uh beers that we try you can find on the untapped app that you can download on ios or android uh the podcast itself you can found uh, found find on um soundcloud stitcher uh, Spreaker, Blueberry, Google Play Music, um, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, uh, and then review us and share us on iTunes as well, because that's where most of you listen, because it's so cool. Twitter following is growing, Nick. Twitter following is is growing. Share, share yeah. us on the Twitter. Yeah, do that. We appreciate <laughs> that. We, we, we occasionally put funny things on there yes. to entertain ourselves more than anyone yeah. else. Yeah. Um, yeah, might as well start talking about the bet, the uh, the bet that we want. I cannot talk today. I am tired. You're just so <laughs> excited. Be a good one. So, tired. so excited about the Iran deal. <laughs> this is a big deal. So, all right, to refresh everyone's memory, on Tuesday, President Trump declared that he was withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal. The de- decision effectively unravels the signature foreign policy achievement of his predecessor, Barack Obama. Good job, Trump. It also isolates the United Mission States accomplished. from its closest Western allies. In his remarks, Trump stated that this was a, quote, horrible, one-sided deal that should never, ever have been made. While Mr. Trump's announcement was not a surprise, it has nevertheless created a deep uncertainty and anxiety about the future of Iran's nuclear program and the Middle East as a whole. The leaders of France, Germany, and the United Kingdom released a joint statement noting, quote, It is with regret and concern that we, the leaders of France, Germany, and the United Kingdom, take note of President Trump's decision. You know it's serious when they take note. Uh, at the same time, both Israel and Saudi Arabia praised the decision. Netanyahu was out giving a wonderful speech. Uh, while Iran has pledged to continue to abide by the agreement, it is unclear whether that will even be possible. More, moreover, other than additional sanction, it's not clear what the <coughs> Trump plan for Iran will be. Trump is gambling that he can get a better deal on Iran. Phil, are you taking that bet? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, I don't know. I there. I think there is a better deal that could possibly be gotten, could be had. Yeah. Gotten, had, either all one. It, all of it. All um, but I don't know had. that this is the way to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to what we talked about last week. and it, 
um, the sort of realization I had on air that I, I think that there's a chance that Trump learns the wrong lesson from North Korea. And I kind of feel like that. I don't know. I don't know if that's what's happening. I really feel like much of Trump's presidency is based on um, being not Obama. And this fits into that as well. So I think there are a couple of factors that that come together um, from a foreign policy cooperation negotiation perspective this is this is not good this is this is a this is bad yeah <laughs> and wouldn't you say that within the so there's the partisan communities both the liberal and the conservative but then within the foreign policy community my sense is that this is universally acknowledged as a as a bad decision uh yeah. which is you know get distinct from the political views on this that most people who study foreign policy international relations are are very concerned by this and in particular not clear what comes next right if you're going to disband a deal for being a bad one then you better have something in place and that's for me that's the thing what what comes next other than sanctions right. um, yeah a, a bad a bad deal is is still better than no deal in this in this situation right yeah. it's like i don't know if you promise if you and i have a deal that you're not going to stab me um but i'm upset that it doesn't doesn't say anything I about shooting deal. And so <laughs> yes. and so i cancel the no stabbing deal i'm worse off than if i had the no stabbing deal in right. place right <laughs> this is this <laughs> listeners high level analysis this is, <laughs> this is why we have phil barker on the show <laughs> i've been drinking <laughs> Nick, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna play I'm gonna play devil's advocate on on this one, um, kind of in the sense, but I also agree with what I'm about to say. I I probably agree that um, the deal that was in place was it, it was probably more beneficial than it was uh, negative, especially in in the current climate. But at the same time. I, you have to look at it from, I don't know about his perspective, but at least the perspective of people of his voting block. If you're talking about a campaign promise, this is another thing that he's delivered on. On top of that, he's taking the United States away from the central leadership role in places where a lot of people believe our leadership shouldn't be the primary um, focus anymore. So if there are other nations involved in this, especially, you know, a, a bunch of the European Union, specifically France, Germany, and at least for the time being the United Kingdom, maybe they should step into this role and try and make it worth the Rand's while to continue to be in this. And um, Rouhani in Iran said specifically, we're going to abide by this if we can't come to a consensus where this still benefits us, then we'll pull out. So if it was completely dependent on the United States, why are these other powers involved in the first place? The other important thing is that these European countries trade quite extensively Correct. with Iran. So it is Especially in, France in yeah, this situation. So it's in both of their economic interests, all of those countries and, and Iran's interest to continue the agreement because they can continue to trade, make money. The United States doesn't trade much with Iran, so there wasn't a whole lot to lose. Mm -hmm. The interesting question is if when the United States reimposes sanctions, are those sanctions just just relating to the United States, or do we say if somebody else trades with Iran, you know, Germany, United K, UK, or France, then we also impose penalties on those countries, and then that'll upset Europe. So this and complicate the issue for Iran. So that's to me what seems like this truly unravels if something like that happens. Well, that's the thing. If this does unravel, if those questions don't get resolved, 
I'm not saying the strategy right now is brilliant by any means. It's pretty idiotic. But if you don't have a concerted effort on the part of the European nations, in addition to China and Russia, who were part of the deal right. as well, then it's you can only take so much responsibility and realize that it was kind of a facade in the first place. I, I didn't think the Iran deal was a, a good deal to begin with. And if it does prove that it's it's just this kind of feeble framework that keeps some sort of status quo stability in the region, I don't necessarily think that that's the best outcome that we could have. Maybe there is a better outcome. Maybe this is the start of that. It's t- Here's the thing, though. You have to look at the circumstance which no. brought, <laughs> brought Iran to the table initially. There were sanctions from the United States, from Europe, and from the UN, the international community as a whole. So you had this intense sanctions regime. So Iran's economy was in rough shape. Uh, that's going to be that's different. Like you're, the Europe, Europe is not going to be on board for that. The rest of the international community isn't going to be on board because they're they're pissed with Trump, right? I mean, so it's it's going to be more difficult to cripple the Iranian economy the way that you could, you know, three or five years ago. So it's I don't I don't know if it's as easy now to get a good deal as it was a couple of years ago in the Obama administration. Well, the the immediate response from the Europeans was asking for exemptions from the Trump administration mm-hmm. for specific companies, specifically yes. France and their largest oil company. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, I, I, on top of that, you looking at it from a geopolitical perspective, Iran has been riding roughshod over the region, especially in relation to militia groups and terrorism and ISIS for two decades now and and nobody seems to have a good strategy of dealing with them if this is it's this is either good from a standpoint of we need to do something about this and try to bring bring lasting stability to the region without giving them the economic stability to continue to support this or we like there, there's no there's just no good reason to to continue supporting something like that there's i lost gotta, my second thought there's got to be to something that comes though right there's got to be a, a so what yeah phil that's that's the thing i i don't i mean i although i supported the iran deal i don't i wouldn't necessarily have a problem with ending it if there was if i felt like there was some other plan in place and that's we've talked about this with uh, you know, with Trump in terms of North Korea and Syria and all these other things, it doesn't really feel like there's some there's any overarching kind of worldview or foreign policy strategy. And so I mm-hmm. I'm not comforted by the fact that this is taken away because it just feels like, you know, again, <laughs> there was something, even if it was flawed. I, I don't I don't know. I haven't heard any sort of proposal for what is next. What do we do instead? And that's. That's the that's the worry. I wonder whether he's looking at North Korea and wondering whether that's not the model. Right. So what I did, you know, what Trump does with North Korea is goes crazy on Twitter, threatens, threatens, threatens. And his perception of this is, oh, suddenly North Korea caved. I'll do the same thing with Iran. I will just threaten war. I'll talk about nuclear buttons. I'll use, you know, threaten military force. That would be a terrible lesson to draw, though, because it's it's a different country, different scenario. But I, I, I wonder if that's not necessarily a lesson as you talk, as you were naming this, this strategy. I, that's not just his strategy with North Korea. That is how Trump operates in general, right? Anyone yes. that he has an issue with, it's, you know, Twitter tirades, <laughs> massive threats. I'm going to sue you or I'm going to leak information that's going to end your career or, you know, there's the, 
that's how he deals with things. And I think for much of his life, that strategy has worked perfectly well. But the people that he's threatening on Twitter and threatening with lawsuits um, don't have n- nuclear weapons or, you know, alliances with Russia. <laughs> so I, that, yes. that's where I, um, yeah, the, the short-sightedness so is a little scary. Are we, I mean, are we in consensus that the Europeans can't come up with a solution to this problem on their own? No, I think they they have a solution. What's the solution? The Iran nuclear accord. But right? I, I, okay, but if it can't survive without us, then the the deal is kind of null and void at that point, anyways. Well, it's this, you have that yeah. many major international powers, and you can't create a deal that is beneficial to all parties involved still without the help of the United States. Well, if we look narrowly at the deal, which was it was wasn't dealing with to. with missiles, wasn't dealing with you know, supporting of terrorism. The deal really was to prevent, or not prevent, to make more difficult for Iran to get a nuclear weapon, to take it from a couple months to acquire a weapon to a year, right? I mean, which, again, is we're talking about pretty small potatoes here. That's what that agreement did. And I think it was pretty effective. Most people agree that the IAEA was in there, was able to review those issues. So that was productive. You know, it, I just don't know what is going to come in and replace to replace that other than the threat of military action you just need to embrace the unknown it's okay it'll be okay just cede a little <laughs> bit of power it'll be okay i don't really I, know I found myself okay. thinking won't be okay. this week that we had this conversation last week where trump may be nominated for a nobel peace prize and we were somewhat optimistic this week i thought it's all gonna fall apart it's terrible this is this is an <laughs> awful decision north korea is gonna collapse and a month from now we're gonna be talking about north korea as a disaster iran as a disaster and suddenly trump goes from this really advantageous position to a really really poor position uh i i, I think that i think that could happen this 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 strikes me as a to your earlier point smart domestic strategies mm-hmm. base loves it it's probably good for politics it's awful if your long-term goal is to prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. Which, which is the, I mean, it's an interesting contrast to North Korea. We talked about that, over, obviously, over the past few months, but last week a lot. And and the criticism from the Trump um, administration has been that the Obama administration didn't do anything or didn't do enough to stop North Korea from getting a nuclear weapon. And this, you know, you were talking about it, it extends the the deal, delays Iran's ability to get a nuclear weapon by a year or something like that, which doesn't seem like much. But we've talked a lot over this past year about how quickly North Korea did this and how it happened so suddenly. And so a delay of a year or, you know, a few months is is important. So it's a weird contrast in which there is actually something in place to slow down Iran from getting the the weapon, the nuclear, you know, getting nuclear weapons. And Trump is trying to dismantle that. I, I mean, I, I don't... We'll have to wait and see, right, for whatever comes. Is it is it going to be threats of military action? Is it going to be, you know, some sort of rigorous sanction regime? Which I don't think is going to happen. I just think they had their moment. No. Europe is now angry with the United States. The international community... Iran is in a... A better political position now than it was a week ago uh, because it can take the high ground it can say like hey we were participating it was the United States and Trump again that withdrew from this agreement so it hurts us internationally you can take the high ground but at the end of the day you're still those people that are supporting those terrorist groups in the region that are killing American soldiers as well as British and French soldiers on a pretty regular basis so if you want to do that and try to be indignant about our 
stance on this, I, I don't know how much of a leg you have to stand on at that point. So, wait, who are you saying supports? You're saying that Iran? France and England no. support terrorists? No, 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 Iran. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, no, sorry. But was, they, it should have been clear. But yes, they probably do do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 I resist going to like black and whites, right? That, that, that there's that this deal was flawed in some way, so it has to be done away with, right? That that it, it is, it might not be perfect, and Iran certainly is not perfect, but it doesn't mean that we should absolutely disengage or cut off from them. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've tried that sort of approach in the past with other countries, and it hasn't gone well. I, I thought I've thought a lot this week about. I, so I, in in my um, intro global politics class, I show Fog of War, the Robert McNamara. Um, documentary, which is great. It's if you haven't wonderful. seen it, you should watch yeah. it. But he, he talks at one point in talking about Vietnam. He was the Secretary of Defense during Vietnam. And he talks about looking back on it, about how wrong the U.S. was. And he, he talks about how if we can't com- convince our allies of our, um, you know, our so in that case, we were in war in Vietnam. Britain didn't support us. Canada didn't support us. France didn't support us. And if we couldn't convince our our, our allies who shared so much with us, then we should question our logic. And I keep thinking about that this week when France and Britain and Germany are all basically saying this is the wrong decision. I, it, it, I, it makes me think we, either we are wrong or we need to be better at explaining our logic or being able to try to convince other people. When the allies who are like strongly in support of this decision are Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yes. I mean, I, they're they're close to Iran. They have a lot of, you know, at, at stake. But I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Especially when, what was it, a poll came out this week, 65% of the American public supported the deal as well. So it, it is, it's complicating that way. And the U.S. global reputation matters, right? The, I wonder, if you're North Korea and you're looking at this and you're trying to negotiate some sort of agreement with the United States, what do you take away from this? I I, I don't know. Is it that, you know, you can't even, even if you sign some of a, some sort of accord with the United States, you, you can't be guaranteed that we'll continue to uphold the end of our bargain. I, I think from North Korea's perspective, I, I, if I'm, if I'm the Kim regime, this is good for me because what, what he wants is an increasingly isolated America, right? I mean, what he's trying to do is reach out and build relationships with China and South Korea and other places and, you know, the U.S. and and isolate the U.S. from those Asian allies. And this is another step down that road of isolating the U.S. from the global community. And that that seems like a victory for... I go back to like two weeks ago when we were talking about this. It strikes me that, to, to your point, Nick, that Trump has certain leverage. They're afraid of Trump pulling out of these agreements. So he had the opportunity to say, I'm going to pull out of this unless I get something. Mm-hmm. Try for something to add on to the agreement yeah. as opposed to dismantling everything. That, sure. that uncertainty to me is, is really troubling because if I'm Iran now, I feel like I can go back to enriching uranium and say, United States, you you pulled out, You we had an agreement, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, and then we don't have that ability to regulate their behavior. I don't trust Iran. I don't think anybody should trust Iran. Um, and now I feel like I'm, we're not in such a good position to curb their behavior. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think everybody was, including myself, we were 
you know, I, I don't think it was going to stay in the state that it was. We yeah. were hoping for a negotiated peace or or some sort of change to the deal as it currently exists. However, I just want to reiterate this point. If their immediate response is, we're going to start uranium enrichment again if we don't get some sort of benefit out uh, out of the remaining deal you still have the majority of the deal in place with the majority of the powers still upholding it Mm -hmm. if you can't come to some sort of consensus that you're not going to start making nuclear weapons or enriching uranium to the point where you could either sell it or create nuclear weapons that's a bigger problem. You, we can't be the linchpin that holds these things together for every single fucking situation. We're the global hegemon, Nick. We're the but only one. That needs We're the to only stop. One. It needs to stop. <laughs> so we've talked about lessons learned, but if we flip it around, the lessons learned for Iran in some ways are to push like hell on a nuclear program, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, if you look at what has happened with North Korea, you get to that point where you have nuclear weapons and all of a sudden you have, you know, one-on-one negotiations and talks and you're treated differently by the international community. And and I have to say, I, I don't like Iran. I don't agree with them. But from a sort of self-interested realist perspective, it makes a hell of a lot of sense for Iran to want nuclear weapons, right? Sure. I mean, I think their situation is a little bit more complicated, just regionally speaking, with the Middle East in general. And then you have an actual legitimate power in the region in the form of Israel that could, can and does often do serious damage to whatever you're trying to accomplish. It's, I don't know, I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced and isn't as susceptible to, you know, Twitter battles and talks about rocket men and whatnot. <laughs> They're... Rouhani is very pragmatic, and he he understands how to, to some extent, play the game as long as it's a fairly mm, cool game. It it like it's yeah. when you start ramping up the um the the rhetoric and the potential for returning sanctions and any other sort of repercussions that they could um, incur over the next few years. I don't know if he's going to have the same weird resolve or uh, um, what's the word? Um, I don't know. A- a- authoritarian um, right. prowess that uh, that Kim Jong Un and North Korea ha- North well, Korea not, have. He, yeah, certainly Iran has more to lose than North Korea, yeah. right? Um, economically and all sorts of other other ways. And and Iran is not as authoritarian as North Korea is. But I think the presence of Israel in the region and the fact that Israel um, is the type that will go out and you know kick your ass is is possibly more incentive for Iran to pursue this though, right? That that it's the this idea of Israel will mess with your internal politics will, you know, do, do, you know, they have extensive, um, covert operations and, and whatnot. So that, that is maybe all the more reason to develop nuclear weapons so that you can, you know, establish some level of deterrence against the a country that's willing to do that. So uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, it's, it's a good point. And the other thing that made me think is, as you guys were talking was that the, we, we all, we think about this through the lens of the United States, but Iran is a contested political state as well. There are hardliners and there are, are those like yeah. Rouhani who are more open to engagement. And this this decision to withdraw from the agreement emboldens the hardliners because they, right. they can turn to Rouhani, the, the current president, and say, see, 
the United States won't negotiate with us. Let's return to this more extremist view. So I, I wonder, again, in addition to the sanctions, it's going to be more difficult to get an agreement now because hardliners are less inclined to make any kind of accord with the United States because uh, Rouhani's cooperative efforts have not produced results. So, so I, I mean, okay, let's say the deal completely falls apart in the next few months. Sure. They start enriching uranium again and develop a nuclear weapon within the next year or so. What do what do the Europeans do in that situation? What does Israel do? What is what what do Russia and, uh, and China do? do? They go to the US and say, "Well, you made your bed, now you got to lie in it." Like I well, like what's how do you how do you have a good response to that? If a state that you were trying to prevent from creating nuclear weapons then creates one because you couldn't come to a consensus, are you petty and shitty about it and then have the United States deal with it? Or then do you have to have some sort of response plan to that and pretty much go back to square one? I'm not entirely sure that Iran will want to pursue a nuclear weapon, right? I think that's an interesting question. They they Do they have a strategic interest in doing so, knowing that Israel would respond or the United States would respond? So they, I think if, if I'm Iran at this moment, I condemn the United States. I don't feel like I need a nuclear weapon at this point. The United States isn't going to invade. So, so I don't know if the answer is they instantly move back towards a weapons program. They may move back towards enriching uranium at higher levels, but I, I don't know. I don't know if they move in that direction so quickly. So then what, what do you think? Is, does it mean more economic investment from Europe at that point? If some form of the deal stays in place. I don't. I, I don't know. That's that's why. I, that's why I wanted to keep the deal, Nick. I, I don't know. I don't know what happens now. I'm very. I'm perplexed. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's so. that's that's a tough one. It is. But so it's yeah. It's very nuanced. All right. We can. Uh, anything else on this one, or should we move on to beers? I think we beat it to death. All right. Uh, Phil, do you want to start us off on beers? Sure. Uh, I am drinking a tiny chicken. American Pale Ale, sounds gross. <laughs> part of the Small Bird series from Trillium Brewing, which is in uh, Boston, um, and it's got a fantastic label. It's just, it's like all here, it's like all white with just Ooh, a little wow. tiny chicken on That's it. It's really fancy. nice. Um, I really like it. It's really, it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's bright. It's hoppy. Um, I, uh, it's not heavy at all um but it's got lots of lots of flavor it, it it was maybe i was just thirsty and it had been a long day but i drank it fast i really liked it mm. and the name is fantastic that is a good, that is a good name <laughs> so nick and i are enjoying a juice packets from Ooh, that's the, pretty yeah this is a good can as well from the fermentorium which is out of cedarburg wisconsin so i was up in wisconsin again this weekend this is a tiny little brewery uh just north of milwaukee and it's an IPA, a, a juicy IPA, very drinkable. It is. Nick. It's very drinkable. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, you know, we have a lot of IPAs on this show, and this one, it it wasn't as hoppy as some other ones. It was a little bit more uh, toned down, but mm -hmm. it was. I, I really enjoyed it. The the more juicy an IPA is, the more I enjoy it. I agree. Yeah, it wasn't overpowering at all, which is really nice. Um, yeah, like nice carbonation, not too much, not too little. I, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, yeah, I was a big fan. There, there's so many good breweries out. Like you drive a it's block, crazy. and there's a new brewery that bounces or that pops up. And yeah. this, yeah, this was uh, didn't even know this one existed. So well yeah. done, the Fermentorium. And their can is nice. It's a great can. Really yeah. Nice so, 
All right, speed round. <laughs> so I'm excited about speed round today. All right, num- topic number one. And, and the question is whether, can we go one week without some crazy Russia story? No, so let's move on. No, all right. The New York Times broke a story yesterday indicating that a shell company created by Michael Cohen in October of 2016 and used to pay hush money to adult film actress Stormy Daniels also received payments totaling more than one million from an American company linked to a Russian oligarch. So this it was created to pay Stormy Daniels. Suddenly, Michael Cohen has money coming in. How very sneaky of you, Mr. Cohen. Uh, apparently, Cohen used the shell company Essential Consultants for an array of business activities that went far beyond what was publicly known. Transactions totaling at least $4.4 million flowed through Essential consult- uh, Consultants starting shortly before Mr. Trump was elected president and continuing until this January. Among previously unreported transactions were payments the last year totaling 500000 from Columbus Nova, an investment firm in New York whose biggest client is a company controlled by Victor Vexlerberg, a Russian oligarch. <laughs> so I don't know if I got the Russian right. AT&T also paid Cohen roughly $50,000 a month for four months. Uh, to, quote, get insights into understanding the new administration. Hmm. Um, Korean Aerospace, Novartis. Apparently, Novartis also paid $1.2 million to Cohen for one meeting. Phil, I'm sure there are all sorts of benign explanations for <laughs> Cohen receiving 500000 from a wealthy uh, Putin associate. Can you give me just one, please? I mean, is there is there any benign way to think about this? <laughs> I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If there is a benign explanation, it's almost inconceivable. Like, why would you do it this way? The amount of money flow. This is like if you were to come up with a bad novel about corruption, this is what it would look like. Right. It's so I I, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know how to respond to it. I mean, they're they were business people. Like, I I think this shit just kind of works in their world. And they AT&T. This is what AT&T does. Well, yeah, they're scumbags. Do you know how much my phone bill is a month? (laughs) I don't even call people. Damn it. No, I thousand dollars a month. Like people's phone bills. (laughs) Their their Internet is crazy. Um (laughs) Yeah, I, I think this kind of shit, it, it, shell companies and, you know, shadow funds and things like that, just it just kind of works in that world. And they didn't think they had to do much else beyond that. They're not smart people. Like, <laughs> it, the, the, the level of like corruption and, and dirty money in D.C. in general is is shameful. Right. Yeah. I mean, their corporations give shitloads of money to to lobby, to to give to candidates for their campaign funds. I mean, th- th- this sort of thing happens. What's particularly shocking about this is that this isn't going to a campaign. It's not go. This is going like directly into the pot. This is like, I'm giving you personally this money to yeah. to listen to me or to, to do. And then when it's coming from from fucking Russians, <laughs> like yes. oh my god. So. You know, and, and my favorite part about this story is that when initially the story broke, and we'll get to Giuliani in a little bit, but that that Cohen had paid Stormy Daniels one hundred thirty thousand dollars. He said he had to take out a home equity loan that he mm. couldn't. You know, he had to take out a home equity loan on his house so that he could for, he could do this for Donald Trump. And it turns out, in less than a year, he's got four point four million dollars coming into the same shell corporation from AT and T, Novartis. I mean, Novartis is a major medical company here. 
here. Uh, Korean Aerospace paid him $150,000, and their explanation is they wanted some counseling on accounting information, right? So this is awful, <laughs> awful stuff. How do you set up a shell corporation? So, for, to me, there's two angles here. One, I think, Phil, you're hitting on it, the idea that how corrupt this is, that, that companies, major companies, know that Cohen is connected to Trump. So they're just going to throw huge numbers at him to say tell us a little bit of something about him but the reality is they just want to build rapport They're giving money to trump yes I mean, it's, it's going to cohen's shell company but it's going directly to trump essentially well but if it does that then he's in some trouble right it's that's the question we don't know do you think you think it goes to trump well so i i think that I, maybe this is the second angle you were yeah. talking about either way so right now this puts cohen in it in, in my mind in a shitload of trouble mm-hmm. right um and this is where it becomes interesting. And we talked in previous weeks about whether Cohen would flip on Trump. And Cohen is set up to go to jail for a long time for a lot of stuff here. Yes. Um, and so if if he was just, you know, totally out for himself, I'll take any money that major corporations want to give to me because I happen to know the president, then he's going to jail for a really long time. But if in any way this was done for the benefit or with the knowledge of Donald Trump, then there's suddenly a lot of incentive for Cohen to say that. Um, And, and that's where, yeah, it's going to, it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how loyal he's willing to be, how much he's willing to, well, and, and, you know, maybe again, maybe he just did this all on his own and he's just a (laughs) a corrupt piece of shit, Yes. (laughs) in which case he's going to go to jail for a long time. But Mm -hmm. if, if he has information to give, then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, who knows? So there's exactly. So the, the Stormy Daniels angle has been referred to the Southern district of New York, but the, the Russian angle, this Russian uh, oligarch was interviewed by Mueller. So it's clear that Mueller is holding on to this guy. And so this yep. this guy, through this Shell Corporation, paid half a million dollars. That would suggest it somehow is connected. And this seems to me really dangerous for Trump. And, and you're right, Phil. It may be that Cohen is just super sleazy looking up for himself. And there is some distance between him and Trump. And we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions. But but if not, this is so, so bad, Nick. <laughs> this, is, this is like the smoking gun thing we've talked yes, about, right? Where the yes. piling up of evidence... And it's not just the piling up of evidence. This is now Donald Trump now has had multiple people around him, very close to him in his administration. Again, in any previous instance, if a a member of the president's staff or administration was tied to a foreign government, to the Russians in particular, it would be scandalous. It would be a huge deal. And Donald Trump now has like I, it's an exaggeration to say everyone, yes. but basically everyone in his administration now has had ties from his children to his lawyer to his national security advisor, like have had these established ties to Russia. And and it it's just it becomes ridiculous to at some point, at some point, the burden of evidence flips. Right. Like this is like yeah. the, the overwhelming evidence is that there are ties in some way to Russia. And, and I, yeah, it, it's just, it becomes, uh, yeah, anyway, it there becomes was, kind of silly. There was a conversation online today, on Twitter today, about somebody was kept saying that this Russian oligarch was connected to Putin. And then somebody responded by saying, there isn't a Russian oligarch who isn't close to Putin. How you become a Russian oligarch. That is a valid point. connected to Putin. So that, you know, <laughs> that, that, that this was something, this was a, 
either a reward for Cohen, and again, we don't know the specifics of what's going on here, what the motivation was, but it's hard to find anything that doesn't reek of either corruption, scandal, or criminal behavior. And it's entirely possible that this is scandalous but not criminal, but we don't know that yet, and it's more to come. So, If it's not criminal, it's like not criminal by some sort of like loophole yes. or mm-hmm. kind yeah. of generous interpretation of things. Well, that's the thing with AT&T. Like it's despicable that they're paying him this amount of money saying like, well, we, you know, we thought this would be a useful consulting fee. I mean, that's, it's, it's awful. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm hoping something happens with them after this is. Released. Yes. Yes. <laughs> More than anything. Oh, Take all right. Damn phone bill down. <laughs> that's right. All right. Topic number two. <laughs> That's why your bill's so high. They got to pay off this money. Yeah. Got to motherfuckers. Yes. When it was all going to bribes, oh. I would not be. All right. Topic number two: Doctor Jekyll and D. A. Schneid. That's, that's good, Nick. That's, this is a good one. Good. You're getting good. good at these yes. uh, these these topic headlines. So the collapse of New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. So uh, Eric, uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman resigned just hours after he was publicly accused of abuse by four women. Schneiderman claimed to be a champion of the Me Too movement, is accused of spitting, choking, hitting, and demeaning four women he dated. Uh, he resigned only three hours after the allegations were made public in a story in The New Yorker. Yet at the same time, he released a statement saying he strongly contested the allegations. Um, this is all the more mind-boggling because Schneiderman, a Democrat, led an attempt to sue Harry Weinstein. Weinstein, right? Is that- Weinstein. Harvey, not Ar- Harry. Harry? You got the name all wrong. (laughs) Harry Weinberg. You know who I'm talking about. For abusing his employees. Harold Bornstein. (laughs) Right. And and for the last year and a half, Schneiderman has been the anti-Trump, directly attacking the president and confronting Trump's treatment of women. Yet now the public advocate stands accused of being a private abuser. Not a good day for him or not a good day for the Democrats. Um Thou protesteth too much. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the it's just it's terrible that he would be leading this charge, and then to have these claims come out. It's He's a scumbag. He, he is right. The hypocrisy is awful. Mm-hmm. No, is that all we had on that? Do we do we need, <laughs> Phil? I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Right? He's a like what a he's a he's a. I mean, again disclaimer it's you know that he still <laughs> has a day in court or right, whatever yeah but he's he's an awful person right i mean but there, i mean this is interesting in that there this happens in other realms as well there, there's a long line of politicians who were sort of big on some issue and then you know hugely sort of traditional marriage anti-gay and then it turns out that they have a gay lover or you know so you know this is not this is this is unfortunately not atypical for for politicians. I, do you think do you think this is a blow for Democrats in general? Do you think this makes much of a like does this make much of an impact? I mean that the option is hey I'm this Democrat is a is you know a terrible person so I'm gonna vote Republican because I believe in women's rights. That doesn't seem like I don't know. Do you think it really makes a, a huge difference? Are people able to differentiate the person from the party, I guess? Yeah, I think in some ways it depends on how the party responds. And so the party responded quickly. Democrats in New York couldn't cut ties with this guy. I mean, Cuomo was out. Everybody was saying this guy is he's done. He's terrible. It's awful. And I think moving forward, political parties need to do this, right? I mean, I think the Republicans included. Anytime a scandal cut like this comes up. Uh, what was his name? The, oh, the senator. The guy. I can't think of his name now. Um, Franken? 
No, not Al Franken. Oh, that was another one. But uh, the guy uh, from, was it Alabama? Clinton. No. <laughs> Republican. The guy who ran for Roy the Moore. Senate. Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Uh, I kept thinking about Roy Moore and his horse. But so, uh, the, the mistake there was that they the party didn't move against him quick enough, right? They let him continue. And part of it was him as, as well. Like, he didn't resign. But the fact that... He, he resigned. Still almost won. I know. <laughs> he I know. Almost won. Well, that's a whole other issue, Nick. But yeah, but the fact that the Democrats moved quickly against him, the fact that he knew it was time to go, I think this means it probably doesn't linger for the Democrats. What do you think, Nick? I mm, I, I agree in this particular situation. I, I think that's probably correct. I think they're starting to back themselves into a corner, though. Mm-hmm. It's I I. I mm, what I've seen of this story has been pretty minimal in the press. Yeah. It's like I had to really search for it today to get any sort of unbiased reporting. And even then I had to settle for opinion pieces. And a lot of it was, yeah, this looks bad for the Democrats, but the Republicans have been doing this forever and it's all that kind of bullshit. But what I also hear is that this is fairly consistent across both parties. And, and mm-hmm. specifically in this situation, one of the women who was profiled in the the piece that we're talking about said, uh, yeah, she told a bunch of friends about this who had links to the political world and that kind of sphere, said, yeah, um, he's he's a good guy and he's doing a lot of good work and it would just really damage the Democrats if, you know, mm-hmm. you came forward with this. And it's just this, again, this hypocritical bullshit that we're talking about. But... If they continue to go down this road where they just lop the heads off of people as soon as these allegations come out, again, I'm not saying it's this particular situation, since he uh, resigned so quickly, the evidence must have been so overwhelming. But he knew, right? He knew, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the game was up. He also said, I am the law to one of the women. I just want to point that out. He's a nice little little Judge Dreadline. I, I enjoyed that thoroughly. <laughs> <clears throat> also said that one of them wasn't liberated enough or something like that, he, which he was, was great. He's awful. Yeah. God, he's just terrible. Um, if you do that, it's... This is the same thing when we started talking about the Me Too movement. If you continue to do this without due process, you're going to back yourself into a corner at some point where you no longer have candidates that want to run because either they do have something in that closet that they don't want to come out, even if it's fairly minor, or they just don't want people looking into their background at all. I I think from a strategic perspective, it's a really bad decision. From a PR perspective and a media PR perspective, yeah, it makes absolute sense. He's a scumbag. Yeah. Shouldn't treat women like that. Get the fuck out. Yeah, that's the end that's, of my statement. I mean, for this, the fact that he moves so quickly, like he gets right. that he's a terrible person. Um, and it feels like the system responded appropriately here, right? I mean, appropriately. So he he was shamed. He resigned. Uh, the party did what they should do. He was shamed, and he knew that no one in the rep- in the party was going to support him. So he had no chance of yeah. moving forward. Yeah, it was equally a political calculus as it was a personal calculus sure i mean the hypocrisy was thick it's awful what mm-hmm. he's been doing yeah phil we made it <laughs> <laughs> no I, yeah i mean we can we can move on uh, there's lots of stuff to talk about once you start getting into yeah, yeah. we should just move on but we, we can talk about rudy now and before we get into rudy, rudy giuliani can we just mm-hmm. say that it was less than a week ago than the rudy giuliani story broke and when i was putting together the outline i thought 
this happened like three weeks ago. It feels like there's so much distance mm-hmm. in Trump world between, you know, six days feels like a decade. Time so, expands. I know it does. So, <laughs> all right. So over the last week, Rudy Giuliani appears to be doing his best Anthony Scaramucci. The Mooch is back. Impression by generally turning everything he touches into a disaster. Giuliani joined Trump's legal team amid a shakeup less than three weeks ago to represent him in the special counsel investigation into Russian election interference. Last week, in an apparent unscripted moment, he made the bombshell announcement that the president had reimbursed his attorney, Michael Cohen, for the $130,000 paid to Stormy Daniels. Since then, Giuliani has appeared on several television shows and given interviews to more than half a dozen outlets, most of which have made things only only made things worse. Appa- worse. Apparently, Trump himself has grown irritated with Giuliani's general incompetence. While Giuliani has already served for a couple mooches, and did we know that a mooch is 10, 10 days? So he's, he's like he's at least oh, two. Man, is that a thing we're using? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mooches, oh my a mooch God, is ten days. So he's every day. He's almost a three mooches. Uh, one gets the feeling the longer he serves, the more legal Trump trouble Trump will find himself in. Phil, does Trump need to end this relationship in order to avoid jail? <laughs> I, it, <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it might be too late for that. The damage is done. It, it's really remarkable, the level of incompetence. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is not known. Prim- I mean, I know that he is a lawyer, but it, he's not known as a lawyer first and foremost. He was right? a federal prosecutor. Hey, it was his first day. They didn't get his <laughs> HR paperwork through yet. They didn't set up his email. Give the man a break. Maybe it's the God. fact that he's 108. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's hard to imagine him going out and saying something more damaging than, I mean, right. if the whole idea, like what he came out and said, which was that Trump knew about this payment and reimbursed it, only makes things worse for the president. So the, all these questions about campaign finance stuff that were um, tied to people around Trump, in, you know, tied to Cohen and whatnot, instantly become tied to the president when he says this. He is a lawyer. He should know that you just, I, yeah. he's a lawyer and a politician. It should, he, should, he should know better. But the response, Trump's response, which was, at first to acknowledge this in some way, and then later to back away from it. I mean, the statements from the Trump administration, from Trump about what happened with this payment, and then from Giuliani, which contradicted everything the Trump administration had said up to that point. Trump then said Giuliani's right, and then like the next day said Giuliani's totally wrong, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But at some point, like it, they're just lying. Yes, like, they're yes. just lying, and and people should quit taking this seriously as a as like a story that they were confused or that he's new on the job. They're just full of shit. They're lying about stuff, and people should say that they're lying. Well, and when you lie so often, eventually it gets complicated. Like, how did we lie in the past? That is a tangled web they woven. <laughs> yes. So my favorite thing was Trump coming out at, and it was it the day after or two days after came out and said his whole defense was Rudy's a heck of a guy. Rudy's a good guy. He's got to get his facts straight. We're like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Right. <laughs> you want the job. He's got to get into the lie. He has to understand the degree to which we've developed this complicated web. Yeah, you got to uh, live the lie. Yeah. Be a part of it. I, I, I will say I don't oftentimes feel sorry for Sarah Huckabee Sanders because she oftentimes is the purveyor and defender of Trump's lies, but I felt sorry for her this last week because she they were all caught off guard. And then the next day, 
the press is saying like he's clearly lying all these people are lying how do you explain these lies and you you knew she was like you got me you got me it's a a house of cards (laughs) she's a soldier sorry for her (laughs) it's not like this is the first lie that the trump administration or that donald trump has ever told she knows what she's getting into don't feel sorry for her when she has to answer for a lie again with some other like random story that comes up i really would like to know if there is some sort of legal strategy to actually disclosing this information though like i i i still find it fairly hard to believe that he just did that be on a whim and just forgot about it or because he's senile one of the two the second one's probably more likely um I, I don't know. Like, I, I find it I find it very hard to believe that he didn't do that purposefully, or maybe he's just trying to burn it down. If he wants to burn it down, please burn it down. It, it, the, go ahead. The argument that I think he was trying to make was that this was. I, I think the argument, the point he was trying to make was that this was not about the campaign. That and, and he actually says this is the other part that's kind of mind-boggling. In the interviews, he basically says this was standard operating procedure for Trump. He basically he, he didn't basically he did say there are other non-disclosure agreements with lots of other people. Donald Trump does this regularly. So the point he was trying to make was that it wasn't to benefit the campaign. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump does this all the time. Sure. Um, but <laughs> in doing so, <laughs> it, it lets out this information that Donald Trump buys people off all the time people that he's had affairs with which we've you know there have been a number of these stories in the last few years and i my understanding is that that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't count for campaign finance yes. stuff so um I, I yeah i can understand the the argument he's trying to make but again even if he's trying to make that argument in doing in making that argument you are admitting that the trump administration has lied up to this point yes. about what what happened Yes, absolutely. And so it's entirely possible, Nick, that Trump and Giuliani got together to say, all right, you go on Fox News, a comfortable outlet, and just kind of let this slide. And then there was the reaction. But I, if you're Trump, then don't you tell the rest of your legal team? It sounds like no. <laughs> In which case, that's a terrible choice by Trump. It's executive time now. I don't <laughs> have time for right. that. Because everybody else was caught off guard. All you know, The entire White House staff... Uh, the, the chief of staff is caught. Nobody knows about this. His Mueller, the rest of his Mueller legal team. So that's the thing. It, it's possible that that was the case, but it was really bad strategy because they should have had everybody ready the next day to say, this is going to be the story. Here's how we confront it. Agreed. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders was like, I, I don't know. I got to talk to him more about this. Well, uh, it's, I mean, you know, they know they can trust her. She's going to, she, she'll, she'll tamp it down. She's okay. She'll threaten people. It'll be She's fine. She's really good at her job. She is right. really, good. really good at her job. I do also wonder, I think, you, Nick, you said this, whether Giuliani's just losing it. This yeah. is the former mayor of New York, you know, America's mayor. Everybody loved him. He was He looked great. old on 9-11. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, this. it feels like it's gotten past him. And if I'm Trump, I look at this and say, I can't afford another mistake, a Giuliani mistake. I don't know, man. He's gotten he's gotten away with a lot of mistakes. I think he thinks he can get away with everyone. I give him five mooches and then he's gone. Five mooches, okay. <laughs> Giuliani? I gotta... I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be gone soon. Fifty yeah. days? Yeah, fifty Sweet. days. Okay. Yeah, less than two months. I gotta I gotta remember the translation going forward. <laughs> All right, next topic. <laughs> yep. All right, gentlemen, don't worry. CIA Director Haspel has a strong moral compass. Ooh, girl. So, so Trump's nominee to head the CIA, Gina Haspel, has had her confirmation hearing today and told members of the Senate Intelligence Committee that she will, quote, 
not restart a controversial CIA interrogation program if confirmed to lead the agency and that she would obey her moral compass, not President Trump. Uh, specifically, she stated, quote, my moral compass is strong. Well, that seems just cleared everything up. We can go home now, right? <laughs> so an interesting wrinkle to the hearing was that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was asking permission to share a six-paragraph narrative uh, of information about Mr. Ha- uh, Mrs. Haspel with the Senate Intelligence Committee. Now, KSM was the principal architect of, of the 9-11 attacks, was captured in March of 2003, and tortured by the CIA. So many interesting aspects to this. Uh, most specifically, what do you think... What do you think that he's got on Haspel? <laughs> he's got some. Fair, fair let, point. Let's go, yeah. let's go back to this statement. KSM was the principal architect of the September 11, 2001 attacks. I don't give a shit what he has on her. <laughs> I bet she tickled him. Fine. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care what she did to him. All right? Like, I, mm, it, yeah. Mm, I, it's... Mm. And realistically, no, I... I if if you're talking about the timeline of September 11th and her involvement with the CIA, they shut down the black site in Thailand in 2002, I think. So she was still there, as far as I know. So what involvement did she have with him? And what could he possibly have to say about her? We already know what they well, did to him. Does it matter who the person was specifically at that point? It's a good question. So th- this is the... <laughs> Oh, you're glitching so I, out again. <laughs> I think that it it matters if you waterboard people. And I think that if someone has been waterboarded, the idea that they would want to say, hey, this person waterboarded me is a valid thing. But I think the fact that it's the architect of September 11th kind of undermines his point, yes, right? So this, this is like, the, the, I, I don't think his his point isn't invalid, right? If someone is is a terrible person, you still don't, I mean, obviously, this is up for debate. People will disagree with me, but you still don't torture them, even if they're a bad person. That's kind of what I think. But yes, him like writing, <laughs> him making this point, if anything, I think strengthened her position sure, for, yes, not for, yes. for confirmation, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, that's the, the politics of it. Now, I'm not comforted by a, a, somebody who oversaw waterboarding falling back on their moral compass to guide them in the future of how they run the cia how do you feel about that bill <laughs> I, i'm the same way I, the I, her, in her defense today i i did not like that she said i have a moral compass because I, I that doesn't matter to me and i think if you if you participated in this your morality is somewhat loose right you're willing to to do things to get information that being said i think she should be confirmed uh i, I think that really yeah Why? I, I, Agreed. here's 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 my argument for this so she is. She clearly knows what she's doing. Uh, she spent 33 years in the CIA. Everybody within the CIA says she is talented. She's smart. She's a good uh, bureaucrat. John Brennan, who was the previous uh, CIA op- uh, director uh, director under Obama, there was the same argument. He knew everything that was going on. He participated in that. He you know gave consent to that. And there were like a couple questions. And so I wonder what's the difference now? Is it that we're having this conversation with Trump, who has been more vocal about, you know, we should torture, or is it the fact that she's a woman? And I, and I, I don't know if it's. I, I do think or, we may be treating her differently because she is a woman, as opposed to Brennan and other CIA directors who've gotten their hands dirty. 
or it could be that she was the person in charge of the site where the waterboarding occurred. She was directly <laughs> there doing it. Like she wasn't physically waterboarding it, but she was the boss in the place that it happened. Yeah, she's a she is a criminal. Like we haven't like she hasn't been convicted of a crime, but she like I, there is all sorts of debate and and discussion about, you know, the nuances of what we did in terms of enhanced interrogation and whether it crossed the line into sure. torture or not. The one area that every legal scholar that I know of agrees on is that waterboarding qualifies as torture. But so he, she, this is a violation of not just international law, but a very clear American legal statute. So I, she is qualified. She's incredibly like she has spent her life doing this job. I have no doubt that she is smart. But in the in um, in the moment, she oversaw and chose to do this act that is without a doubt an illegal act I, I don't I think I don't care how good and smart you are you, you don't get to run the the organization if you if that's the decision you made I don't think the organization would exist if you didn't have those things going on the CIA by definition is that that's what they do they're most a lot of them are monsters and a lot of what they do is illegal by international standards the yep. institution as is as, as it exists today would not exist if it didn't undertake those practices whether you agree with them or not i it just it it wouldn't exist i i, I and from an intelligence perspective i don't know if it's better to undermine your, you know, quote unquote, core values on international law and human rights, uh, or if it's better to not have that and risk falling prey to people who don't follow those standards. I, I, Do you feel safe at night, Phil? I want to ask you that. <laughs> you want him on the wall. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the thing is, this is we've we've mentioned this in previous weeks. We never had a national, like a real national conversation sure. about this. Mm -hmm. the, the, I think the thing is, the CIA, yes, the, she in many ways embodies the CIA, right? She's she's smart. They, she's she spent her life doing this. In some way, she is the, the perfect candidate to head the CIA. Mm -hmm. But in other ways, if this is the perfect candidate to head this organization, uh, someone who oversaw the torture of our enemies, then we should have a discussion, not just about her, but about what the fuck the CIA yeah. is doing and whether we actually stand behind this or not. I think that's a fair point. We don't point. ever talk about that. I, I, to me, it feels like we're making her the scapegoat for conversations that we don't want to have about the Bush administration. Agreed. So, you know, like a few weeks ago, we were talking about how much we loved George W. Bush. And I was leading that conversation to say he seems so delightful now. But you know, we're going to hold her accountable for this, but we're not going to hold Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, George W. Bush. I mean, they were the individuals, John Yu, who were making the legal and political arguments for this. She was just the one implementing orders from above, which doesn't get her out of culpability. That does not make her innocent. No, it doesn't make her innocent. But I, I just feel like if we're going to block her nomination, then there has to be deeper conversations about holding other people accountable. And I don't think those are going to occur. Keep uh, in mind, but, a lot of this, these tactics and a lot of what the CIA does continued and expanded under, under the Obama administration. Proxy wars and black sites... And torture and tons Torture stopped. If Droning. you think torture stopped, it, you are out it, of it, your it, friggin' mind. We droned people, Nick. That okay. was it. You, we might have stopped <laughs> we just, watering we just you. Killed them from a we distance. just killed yeah, lots of people <laughs> from somewhere. Yes, yeah, it's fine. No. The whole, like, realistically, this is the entire breadth of 
United States intelligence gathering and intelligence services since the end of World War II. This is what we did and what we do. And if you want to have that debate, I'm happy to have it. But you need to understand that this has been a fundamental pillar of American stability and security in the way that we conceive of it for the better part of a century at this point. So what what is I, the alternative? Why I am we, I clapping? <laughs> I think that's taken as a I think we tend to take that as a given without right. actually analyzing. Agreed. It. Yeah. Like we, you say that like we are, are safe and where are we where we are because we do this stuff. But I, I don't Oh, I'm not saying well, I'm kind of saying that. I don't I don't know that that is necessarily true because we never talk about it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's assumed we have this view of the world as a dangerous place and we have to have people that go out and torture and assassinate people. And we don't actually get into that. We don't actually wrestle with those ideas at all. No, I totally agree with I'm, that. Maybe we decide after that conversation that, yes, this yeah. is what we have to do. But we, we should have that conversation. If she would have made a defense of the policy, I think I would have a different view. But the fact that she said, we, we're, I'm, I'm not going back there, for me, is enough to say confirm her. Um, because who will Trump come up with? A, I mean, it'll be... It'll be I want you on my jury when I'm accused of murder. I'm not going back there. I'm not going to talk about it. I, that was the past. I have a moral compass. And Bill's like, innocent. <laughs> I'm a sweep, sweep it under the rug kind of guy. <laughs> All right, Nick, do we, are we, is the tape ready for final topic? I just realized doesn't have a, a phone port anymore. Do you have your phone? <laughs> uh, no, but my iPad has Yay. the tape on it. Let me get this ready. <clears throat> Um, there you go. All right. So our final topic here. Uh, can Trump control Trumpism? Specifically the campaign of Don Blankenship. So West Virginia GOP Senate candidate Don Blankenship lost in the Republican primary last election last night. Yet his loss seems less significant than the campaign he ran. ran. During the campaign, Blankenship, again, a Republican, carried out open racial attacks on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. In one ad, he stated that, quote, Swamp Captain, Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. <laughs> and that McConnell's, quote, China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. <sighs> We gotta go to the tape, Nick, and you gotta play the ad. Okay, here we go. He's so dynamic. Don Blankenship, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. Mitch's swamp people are now running false negative ads against me. They are also childishly calling me despicable and mentally ill. The war to drain the swamp and create jobs for West Virginia people has begun. I will beat Joe Manchin and ditch Cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. Cocaine Mitch? For the, for the children, is. Phil. For the what children. Does that, what does that even greatest. mean, Cocaine Mitch? I, I don't know. I will say, if I could move and vote for him right now, I would. <sighs> oh, so we should be clear that Trump campaigned against him and said, don't vote for him. But, Phil, this is, this is that shocking that one could be so ignorant and so tone deaf. I also wouldn't vote for him. Yeah, I want to okay. retract that That's right. I'm sorry. I mean, this is, this is a little bit like, uh, there, there, you know, there are people celebrating that he didn't win, and they see this as a victory, but he almost did. This is a little yes. bit like the Roy Moore thing. And we leave, like, that, that ad in which he talks about China people. Yes. Like, I mean, that, like, just no, like, he's not dynamic <laughs> no. at all. 
it's just like, you know, kind of nativism that he's running on. Um, and he's a convicted felon, right? Yes. Like he, yes. So he, he owned a coal mine and uh, there was an explosion. A lot of pe- people were hurt and killed, I think. Uh, he served a year in jail. He's only out of jail for a year now. Right. And he's running in coal country on, you know, bringing back coal jobs. A guy who like was, in, yeah, it, that this is not, it's not reassuring to me, right? This yeah. is not a, hey, he lost. We should feel good about it. This is a, another of those like, well, shit things are things are things are not great <laughs> guys in your east coast liberal <laughs> yeah democratic right. elite what nick politics trump said this guy's gone too far what does that say when trump is coming out saying like don't vote for this guy he's it's not good bill <laughs> it's real not good i don't I, my i don't have i i don't know maybe this is maybe this is evidence of me just not getting it i don't have any problem with conservative candidates who have opinions that I don't agree with. I I don't see him putting forth any sort of argument, right? This is not, he's not campaigning on some, I mean, it is an issue, but it's really just racial resentment. The issue is racism. (laughs) It's it's nationalism and and anti-international, but it's not that he's putting forth a really, you know, interesting educated argument about china and trade policies right it's just lobbing these attacks out the china people took our jabs yes right i would love it if the republican party was full of of you know again we've talked about this go back in time a little bit right so i i think about 30 years ago when when on on both parties there were people who had really strong opinions on both ends. You know, you had Bob Dole and Ted Kennedy and they disagreed totally, but they made interesting arguments and they compromised and they talked to each other and and negotiated. And none of that seems to be happening right now. And and to me, this feels like we often talk about partisanship and certainly there are, that is a huge issue, but this feels like a argument within the Republican party here. So this is a Trump candidate attacking Mitch McConnell for this, you know, and, and Mitch McConnell tweeted out a funny link showing him, you know, saying like "nice job" or something. You know, I mean, he was, you know, it, this feels like a fight within the Republicans to some degree about where the Republican Party is going to go and the future of that. My fear is that this represents Trumpism, you know, out of control. And I think Trump is out of control, but when he can't even control his his periphery, those that are embracing his ideals, it's particularly troubling. But Does, go ahead. Does that help bring an end to it, though? I mean, in some ways, if if Trumpism sort of boils over and you have this kind of extreme manifestation of Trumpism, um, either at some point, either a majority of the people agree with it or they don't. Right. In some ways, it, it brings the issue forward. And if, you know, 50 percent, 60 percent of Americans think that this is the way we should run our country, then. I, I, yeah, I'm, doesn't make me very happy, but right. I mean, in some ways, if you have the this sort of extreme manifestation of it, maybe it helps lead to some exposing. Kind of yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, we were looking for a line of where this was going to stop. I think we this is this is the line. He's the China line. People. He, China people is the line. Um, and, and you can say what you want about the Republican Party in the state that it is right now. I, they they are still strategic pragmatists about what it takes to win. There's yeah. going. This is the breaking point where they know you. Uh, it 
this is just not going to work for us from a strategic political perspective. See, that's a great point. But it makes me think about a great point that Phil Barker made like months ago. I where don't believe that. He argued that the Republican Party is no longer controlled by the party itself, but by the masses, right? And so this yep. makes me think that the party did everything they could to stop Roy Moore. They did everything they could to stop this guy. And they still, I mean, obviously Blankenship didn't win, but he still had an audience. He still had, it was, you know, had a percentage vote for him. So is it out of the party's control have the ideas so been infused into the public that the party can't even stop Trump anymore. I I don't know. I think Roy Moore was a, a separate situation where they kind of waffled on mm. whether they were going to support him or not and he was an incumbent and you know there are allegations but we don't know if they're true and you know evidence and due process and all that bullshit. When you when the line is China people yeah. in your ads, there's not a lot of defense that you can put around that. I I, th- I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, again, we talked after Roy Moore that there's some danger in drawing general conclusions about the country based on Alabama. And that's, that can be said about West Virginia as well. Um, and I don't, I, you know, there's there's been this tendency in in the media to sort of shit on West Virginia. And I, I'm not, I don't mean it in that sense. I just mean that it's Politically, it's a different state. And so I don't know that you can sort of draw national conclusions. But to some extent, that's part of the problem with our country, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, our states are essentially giant gerrymandered districts, right? And and that if we had some nationwide vote, there would, I think, more moderate candidates would emerge. But when you have these sort of pockets of, of politics, it allows kind of more extreme views to to come to the surface in some ways do you think that with this though you do regardless of what you think of trump and trumpism and the effects that we've seen thus far do you think that the popular resurgence could bring potentially different candidates from a slightly more moderate perspective to oppose these people at some point and bring new voices into the political field? I, w- I would hope I so. I will take bets. Yeah, I, I'm not real optimistic about that. I would. I thought that that would happen. I thought that there would be a consensus of more moderate voices pushing back, but that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, those who are pushing back against Trump are those who are no longer running for office because they're afraid to run because the public seems to the Republican public seems to support this. So I maybe with time and maybe Trumpism will fizzle out, but I don't know if we can say that just yet. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's where the state politics comes into it in, in some ways, because I, I, again, if I were, if I were a moderate, well, I don't know. I mean, if you were a, if you were wanted to come out and run in Alabama or in West Virginia as a moderate candidate, I, yeah, I, I don't. Would you identify with the Republican Party? If you're a moderate Republican, you're probably a Democrat in West mm-hmm. Virginia yeah. right? or in in Alabama. And so that's where nationwide things would look a little different than they end up looking in these individual states. And for a party to manage that, what a Democrat looks like in Alabama or in Texas is very different than what a Democrat looks like in New York or California. And so trying to come up with some sort of national platform is really difficult as a result of that. I wonder if Ronald Reagan ran today, you know, would he be as successful, right? Because he was he was way more centrist than we think. Uh, that's that's that... No, he's a liberal snowflake. No. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I, I, it's an interesting question. We, we will see. Time will tell. He doesn't like communists. What is that about? Yeah, that's good. He didn't like communists. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a fun one, gentlemen. Uh, this, this is very fun. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, if you liked our discussions this evening or like them every discussion that we have for all of the podcasts that didn't make any sense um like us on facebook at barstool politics twitter at barstool paul p-o-l uh beers that we try you can find on the untapped app uh on ios and android uh podcasts you can find on soundcloud and google play music and stitcher and spreaker and blueberry and lots of other podcasting platforms uh, and definitely find us on iTunes, uh, share us and review us on there. Um, that helps us to grow this thing because we like to talk to more people and, you know, sound like idiots every week. So it's, <laughs> cause that's what we really like to do. Good plan, Nick. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, anything else guys? No, this was fun. Cool. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.